Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Amanda C. Riley had some bad news for the followers of her blog and her cancer journey. The doctor was gentle, but basically explained that at this point, it is no longer medically plausible for me to be cured. In all fairness, I knew it was coming, but it was still tough to hear. I then asked how long, again. He said it all depends on how my body reacts to the drugs. Maybe three to six months. Two weeks later, the blog stopped being updated. There was no activity for five months. Until a new blog post. It's been a while since I posted. I've been trying to rediscover normalcy. If I'm being honest, this isn't quite what I thought life without cancer would be like. Yep, Amanda's cancer was officially gone. In her longest post yet, she got vulnerable with her loyal readers and really opened herself up, telling them what she was actually feeling about finally saying goodbye to cancer. But it wasn't quite what you might expect. Cancer changes you. I am not the same person I was before I got diagnosed. Cancer made me stronger bolder, and a little harder. The things I liked before cancer and I thought were important aren't now. The people I wanted to spend my time with and the things I wanted to do have drastically changed. I feel like cancer made me grow up a lot faster. I'm not as ignorant. You can imagine how much of a toll it takes never knowing what day will be your last, constantly being told you have months to live, only to go into remission and then relapse over and over again. Cancer undoubtedly changed Amanda. And with it came the responsibilities and pressure of sharing her story so openly for all to see. After cancer is also really lonely and kind of dark, if I'm being completely raw. When I was going through treatment, I got unwantedly shoved into the spotlight of receiving 24-hour-a-day support. People cheering me on, leaving me nice messages, checking on me. Although being the center of attention is never something I wanted, it was what I needed. It's interesting the way Amanda felt like she'd been shoved into the spotlight, given that it was Amanda herself who chose to start her blog to... Not only keep friends and family in the loop, but serve as a resource to all those newly diagnosed. Being a cancer influencer is difficult, especially when there's questions about the authenticity of what you're putting out there. Was the spotlight truly unwanted? Don't forget, while Amanda was posting this, she knew at this point that the IRS were investigating her and watching her every move. She told me that she was going to be taking down like her, some of her social media and her blog. She told her close friend, Rebecca Cafiro that the blog was coming down she said because of that, because they were doing all of this research or investigation, she was taking down her blog and she was 
um, gonna be a lot more private on social media. It turns out this was to be her last ever blog post. It's almost like PTSD for cancer, living in constant fear of when will it come back without all the distraction to keep you out of your head. But while it might have been the end of her blog, it wasn't the end of Amanda C. Riley and her cancer story. I'm Charlie Webster. You're listening to Scamander. With the ongoing IRS investigation and the court battle with Nancy over a restraining order, Amanda probably needed a break from the blog anyway. At the same time, her career was taking off with a huge promotion. She left her job as an English teacher at Valley Christian to become principal at Pacific Point Elementary School in Gilroy, California. At the time that Amanda was going for a restraining order, she had become a principal of a Christian elementary school. Nancy. When that happened, I was dumbfounded by it because her previous work experience was a substitute teacher for English. And then when she got the job as a full English teacher, she taught for a few months and then was out on sick leave for months on end until they let her go. And then she got hired as a summer camp person at the Christian elementary school and went from camp counselor basically to principal, which is mind boggling. Amanda had moved to Gilroy, a half hour drive from San Jose. It's classed as the Southern Gateway to Silicon Valley. We drove up to Gilroy to get a feel of where all this happened. The town is known as the garlic capital of the world. We could smell garlic from miles away. 90% of America's garlic is processed there, with over 100 million pounds of garlic harvested every year. I was born at Wheeler Hospital in Gilroy in 1978, and my mom was a nurse and my dad was a police officer. I was here my whole life. It was a smaller town then, you know, you walked to school, you did everything. This is local Gilroy mom, Rebecca Spencer. She has two boys, James and Jonathan. Jonathan is terminally ill. He has a rare fatal disease called Neiman-Pick disease type C. Everybody's very giving and donating to my son. People are amazing. We had this big fundraiser at the winery every year and We've raised hundreds of thousands of dollars for my son's disease, and people like go out of their way to help my child. Gilroy's just a, a special place. They will always be home. I still live here. I'll, st- I'll live here till I die. Rebecca was looking for a new school for her son James, Jonathan's younger brother. She and her husband were looking for somewhere that would be able to cater for their family's needs. She settled on Pacific Point, where Amanda was principal. My husband went to private school in the same town and to Christian private school. And when my mother-in-law passed away, her last wish was that my son would go to private school and especially a Christian private school. So we went and we met Miss Riley. We had a tour. Um, We talked about how amazing the school is. We just walked around the school with my two children and they showed us the different classrooms and what the school was all about. At that time, 
I had talked to her because we were talking about James, you know, having this brother with a terminal illness and how hard we wanted to make sure that they knew that he would be missing school because he had to come with us at that point for Jonathan's treatments. So she said, oh, yes, we understand. And we prayed together. At that time, she told us she was in remission and that she had been getting treatments for years and that she was doing better. She just had to go in, you know, a few times. And that's all I knew about the cancer, that she she was in remission. What were your first impressions of her? Amazing, sweet, kind, beautiful, well-spoken. Her son and my son were in the same class. We knew that was happening. I just thought she was wonderful. My husband and I both thought she was wonderful. We were just, we were impressed. My son um, struggled with learning things in the beginning of kindergarten. So we had to come into meetings with her and the other teacher and kind of talk about him different ways of him learning. So she actually tested him in her office and did all these things with James. Just kind of see where he was academically because he wasn't quite with the other kids. Now he is, but at that point he, he was a slow learner. So she did all the testing with him, called me about it. So, I mean, she seemed like she knew exactly what she was doing. I never once thought she wasn't a great principal. Every morning she would sit there and she had this big board. They do their assemblies and then you would walk up to the board and it would say, you could either ask for a high five, a nod, a hug, you know, and all the kids would point to what they wanted and she would hug every kid that wanted to be hugged, high five every kid that needed to be high fived and really made it personal. She was so good with the kids. Most of the kids wanted to hug her, not shake her hand or wave. It was just an amazing thing. All the Most of the parents stayed for this every morning. It was a very happy place to go to and she made things happy. She could walk in and light up every child in that room. Although Amanda was no longer updating her blog after her news that she was cancer-free, Pacific Point was doing a fundraiser for two sick staff members. One of them was Amanda C. Riley. Her cancer was back again. We found out that her cancer was back when uh, her and Miss Cindy did a fundraiser together. And she used to come in in the mornings, like in her um, pajamas and stuff, like sometimes to get work done before she had to go have treatments. So, of course, we all donated. We all wanted to help both of them. It was heartbreaking that, you know, these two women who give their life to the children were both out of a remission and their cancers both came back. It was just fundraising just to raise money through donations and stuff to both of them. They would email us. Through the school, too, it was, you know, the school was involved. They just wanted to help them with whatever they needed for expenses. So everybody just donated money. The school set up a website with the title Helping Mrs. Riley and Miss Cindy to Fundraise. They said that all proceeds will go to help them both with medical bills and living expenses while they are fighting the good fight. Those who donated would receive a personalized T-shirt with the term Pack Point Strong on it. These are some of the comments that were left on the fundraising site. Mrs. Riley has been a blessing to my children. We love you, Mrs. Riley and Mrs. Our love and prayers are with you both. 
Love you, Miss Cindy. Mrs. Riley and Miss Cindy are in our prayers, and we wish them all we the best. We are all praying for Mrs. Riley and Miss Cindy. May God bless them and give them courage through this difficult time, wishing them both good health. We personally donated 500 as a family, and we donated to both of them. We just donated because we, you know, you always try to help other people. Seeing Miss Riley having two little boys, one in the same class as my son, the other one a year older, it was heartbreaking seeing the little boys and wondering how their mom's doing. One time I saw Miss Riley coming in the morning and she was still in her pajamas and she said, you know, she was just having a really hard time and she needed to get the kids into school and, you know, that it had come back and that, you know, she's just trying to get back together. She took a couple of months off at that point and then she was coming back and we were all so excited when she came back. What were you told about that period of time? That she was back into treatment and we were just told by the school that she was very sick and that trying to support her through the cancer coming back. They had told us it was Hodgkin's lymphoma and, you know, they were just supporting her. Even though the blog was officially finished, Amanda's updates didn't stop, though now there was no specific mention of the word cancer, just that she was sick. The pictures moved to Facebook, and instead of writing blogs, she posted selfie videos in hospital, like this one. So today is my 70th day in the hospital, and it is my last day in this hospital as I found out I'm officially moving to the higher level care hospital tomorrow. So if you could just pray against my nerves and that um, the doctors are able to find answers and bring wisdom. And when you saw her after that, what did she say? She just said her cancer was back and she was, you know, in treatment and hoping that it would get better. And then we all would pray, you know, and they would pray for her in the assemblies. And Did you pray for her then? Absolutely. It was devastating, you know. You don't want somebody that is that passionate with your children and that wonderful, well, anybody in general with cancer or whatnot. And, and having a child that's sick and, and seeing all the stuff that really goes on in the world with sick kids, I need faith, my son. If some reason we don't find a cure and he goes before me, which hope to God that won't happen, but reality is it probably will. I want the faith because I have to believe that there's something more out there. I have to. The school didn't give much information to parents about Amanda's continued absences. We heard that she was in the hospital and she was just getting sicker and sicker. But one person did. Nancy called and that's like how I found out more information. Nancy was calling anybody she could get a hold of to let people know that there was more to Amanda's story than meets the eye. And Amanda was doing all she could to get Nancy out of her life. The restraining order she wanted was not just for me to be restrained in talking to her or coming near her, but also restrained against her family. So from her husband, the stepdaughter, and the two children that they were concerned about. They didn't want me contacting employers or relatives of the protected parties. Amanda reached out to Rebecca Cafiero. She was the friend that took the family photos and used to work with Amanda's mom, Peggy. Amanda asked me if I'd been contacted by a reporter. I'm like, no, what, you know, kind of what's going on? And she's like, oh, well, apparently there was some conflict with Corey's ex-wife. 
but there was allegations going against Amanda and Corey and some type of tension. And she just said that, you know, his ex-wife like has a friend that's a reporter and they're trying to like kind of create a slanderous case, but they've been reaching out, they've been poking around, but there's, you know, there's no truth to any of it. And so they, they can't get any information because none of it's true. So the reporters, they can't even, they're not even gonna be able to do anything with it. She said she was like filing a restraining order. She was putting a kibosh on it. What was your response to that? I remember just thinking like how unbelievably horrible that, you know, to be one just going through cancer and like the day to day of like figuring things out, you know, I mean, feeling like crap. Your bills, like, what if I die? And I'm like leaving two children behind, like all of these things. And then to deal with something like someone slandering you. I mean, I was like, this ex-wife is a piece of work. Amanda's court case had nothing to do, however, with the ex-wife, Alita. Amanda filed for a civil harassment restraining order against Nancy, claiming Nancy had gotten her fired from her previous job, gotten her husband fired from his job, that Nancy was harassing her family members and friends, and posing as a federal agent. So what was it like going to court for this? So we ended up having a two-day hearing with a judge assigned to the case, almost like a little trial. There's no jury or anything, but the judge is your jury, basically. And you it's presented just like a trial. I had to take the stand. My lawyer walked me through whatever they did. And then her attorney cross-examined me and asked me questions also. I took the stand. Amanda took the stand. Her husband, Corey, took the stand. We had a couple of witnesses that took the stand. And it's like going through a trial. I knew that the ramifications of this one south could jeopardize my work, my career. You know, that's my livelihood. I knew it was important and I did not take this lightly at all. The consequences for Nancy if the civil harassment case didn't go her way were serious. It wasn't just her ability to contact Amanda's circle that was on the line. It was her professional credibility and reputation she had to prove that what Amanda was claiming about her wasn't true. It started with employment records from Amanda's previous job as an English teacher. We presented all our evidence. The records that were subpoenaed from her previous workplace, it's a three-inch binder of them communicating with Amanda via text and emails about her never showing up to work because she has cancer and that she's too sick to teach and too sick to come in, and parents complaining that their kid's teacher isn't there. And so the school had no choice but to replace her. They couldn't find substitutes anymore, and that they were paying her, and she was not coming into work because she was too sick because of her cancer. There was a parent at that school that was of the mindset that, um, she didn't have cancer and told people at that school. And I got a call from the principal of the school. The first thing she asked me was, why didn't we see it in her background check? I said, Amanda Riley's not charged with anything. I said, I cannot tell you on the phone that Amanda Riley does not have cancer. I said, what I will tell you is that if you would like more information, here is the name of the federal investigator here is her name, here is her contact number, and if you have questions about anything, you should call her. 
And that was the extent of my conversation with that school. So I never got her fired. I never called the school. At one point, she's claiming I, I emailed the brother hundreds of times, called the school hundreds of times. I mean, we subpoenaed all my cell phone records, all my work phone records. We brought all of that to court for the judge. There's no calls. There's no calls. There were calls. Nancy did make calls, maybe not hundreds, but she was actively calling people. My attorney prepped me amazingly. There was a lot to prep. There was a lot, because she, you basically had to go through the list that Amanda included in the documents and then have evidence for that, you know, of me not doing these things and the best the ability to show that and prep to be able to answer questions not only from my own attorney, but from whatever her attorney would ask. Was that the first time you met Amanda in person? Yes. What did you think? She came in impeccably dressed, very well put together. You know, she was at that point a principal at an elementary school, so she looked very much that part, you know. Blazer, dress, heels, the whole bit. She was very bubbly. She was very friendly towards the judge, kind of giggly, like, oh, where do I go? What do I do? And am I doing this? And her attorney was with her. We testified, and then there was like a 10-minute break, and then we had lunch. It was a lunch break. And at that time, I was talking to my counsel, so it was myself and two attorneys at that point. We were saying, oh, yeah, we should walk out and go get something to eat. We're in downtown San Jose. And she walked right over to us and said, oh, you should try this cafe. You should try this place to get coffee, and they make great sandwiches. And I, I heard the voice, but... It took me a second to register that this was Amanda talking to us. And I just kind of like turned and looked and my attorney went, okay, thank you. And she was like, oh yeah, there's so many great places downtown. Like just, like nothing was wrong. Like we were just all there together for some, it was a very strange interaction. I just thought it was extremely odd. What was she saying on the stand? Oh, well, she spoke, you know, all about how... I got her fired because as far as she was concerned, they told her that I called and I threatened them. And I said, if you don't fire her, I'm going to go public and say that you allowed this fraud to continue. She talked all about that. She talked about how I would call and represent myself as a federal agent to people and that if they didn't say what I wanted them to say, I was going to arrest them. I was supposed to be this menacing, threatening person to everybody. She talked about that. Yeah, she just had no problem lying. (laughs) I wanted to trust in the fact that the judicial system would work for me or work properly. One of the calls Nancy did make was to a Team Amanda supporter who wrote a letter to the courts backing Amanda up. She says in her letter... Nancy claimed to be calling on behalf of the IRS and was trying to acquire pertinent information to this case. I have pointed out to her that I had witnessed on more than one occasion Amanda violently throwing up from treatment and that to me was not something that could be faked. The letter goes on to say, she strongly suggested that was false and that because the investigation was underway, I was another of many who was being scammed. I did not for a second believe these deplorable allegations. To know how much Amanda has been through, 
Nancy's actions are quite frankly unconscionable. And the letter continues. I have zero questions as to the legitimacy of this because the woman I saw with my own eyes was someone who was fighting the battle of her life. Rebecca Cafiro was also backing up Team Amanda. This is a voice note Rebecca sent Amanda. I would love to understand like, the whole thing as much as you feel comfortable sharing, but I will tell you, like, if this is... I mean, again, I, I don't know the situation, but like, if this is his ex and like this reporter and, you know, a corrupt IRS agent or just like a super unfair one, like, Amanda, I will put the full power of everything behind exposing this bullshit and... Amanda and Rebecca were exchanging voice notes about the court case. This is a voice note that Amanda sent to Rebecca. All right, so the first day court's over, second day's tomorrow, and hopefully we're walking away with a straining order and charges. So, um, hey, you reap what you sow. I, I wish no ill will against anybody, but these people, well, this lady royally sucks. I was a really big problem for her, and I wasn't going away, and she needed me to go away. I remember we came back from a break after we presented, and she came in and she printed out a picture of an award she claimed she got that we were able to show. It was in her employment file that she had lied about it, and they had found that out. That was one of the reasons they fired her, right? They actually fact-checked her resume. And she came in physically with, like, the award. But it was the strangest thing. It was like she had it in the car. I, I don't know where that she went and got this from. She just was a very strange individual. <laughs> the, the things that shouldn't have mattered, she shouldn't have cared one iota that there was this little thing about her claiming to get this award when she was in college. Like, that sh shouldn't have been her focus. But that was her focus. She came back in from break to prove she had that award. It's very strange. And what was Corey's involvement in any of this? Corey testified to the fact that he too lost his job because I contacted his workplace. That didn't happen. He had already left that place of business like two or three weeks before I ever called there. So I, I knew he was lying. He went on there and he, because my, my lawyer took him through her going back and forth to New York, all the treatments she had. Oh, so you, you went with your wife to appointments? Yes, I, I was there by her side. I was always with her. Amanda did post pictures of Corey and her in hospital throughout her blog. And even after she took it down, she still posted the two of them in hospital together on Facebook. Here's just one of the posts that she shared, alongside a selfie she took of the two of them in hospital. Amanda in a hospital bed and Corey by her side. Special shout out to this stud. It's been a crazy ride, and he's been there the whole way, right by my side, holding our family together. Comes to all the doctors, surgeries, and hospital trips, and still works and loves on our boys. Thanks for being our rock. She never ever produced anything to the judge to show that she had cancer, which would have, could have been done in two seconds. She could have came in, Here's a note from a doctor. <laughs> this is who it is, Judge. Why don't you go call? And you could talk all about my cancer. Because it, that would have been really bad for me, right? That would have been the way to make me go away. And we stated that many times over. And there was never anything. 
when we were going to court for the restraining order, we had subpoenaed all documents. We had asked to subpoena documents from the medical facility that she was being treated at, which is Columbia, New York. They didn't have anything that they could release to us. And then they said, what we do have and that we, we are able to share with you is not a medical record, but a letter that Amanda Riley wrote to Columbia. After I had talked to Columbia and sent them the blog links, they were quite concerned about what they saw on the blog. They reached out to Amanda and asked her to stop including them in the blog. And basically a cease and desist letter was sent to her. And with that, she wrote the letter to them apologizing for wasting their time and explained why she did what she did. Here's a selection of excerpts from the letter that Amanda allegedly wrote to Columbia University Hospital. I intended to be public with my decision to stop treatment, but I panicked. When people asked me what was next, I told them I would keep fighting, when the reality was I already notified my hospital I wouldn't. People kept asking what trial I was doing and how the treatment would go, so I lied. There's just not a nice way to say it. I somehow justified it in my mind that I would keep refusing treatment, and by people thinking I'm still in treatment, they wouldn't think I was a loser or a quitter when things got worse. I'm really sorry for doing that. It was a really bad choice I wish I could take back, but I can't. I've pulled down the blog and again, apologize. The letter to Columbia was accepted into evidence, though the judge acknowledged it was hearsay evidence. Amanda's team denied she had ever read or written the letter. After two days on the stand, multiple witnesses and testimony from Corey, Amanda and Nancy, the final verdict was in. You're not panicked. You feel very empty and... I don't know what the word I'm looking for. A lot of apprehension, just stomach in knots, like you're just kind of waiting. Waiting is hard. Regardless if you feel, hey, everything went great, we were able to impeach her on several things. We knew we did did what we set out to do, but, you know, we didn't know what to expect from the judge. So, yeah, there's this, this knots in your stomach feeling while you're waiting. And what did the judge rule? The judge said, found there's no, no reason for me to be restrained and that nothing was granted. There was no restraining order. So what was it like when the judge said there was no grounds? That was great. It was great. It was a big relief. He found that there was no, no reason to issue a restraining order. Her attorney did say, well, we feel we're going to appeal this. And I remember, like, I just looked at my attorneys and the judge said, if that's the route you're going to go, that I think you should be warned that if you're going to file charges against Ms. Moscatello, then she will have every right to every last medical record of your client. So as long as you're aware that by going down that road, you should be aware that that opens up the door for Ms. Moscatello and her attorneys to every last bit of medical information on your client. There was a very small part of me that was like, oh, well, that would be interesting. 
you know, because you have to think like, then that would be that would be the end of it. How much did that cost in the end? Uh, over $200,000. The judge ultimately found that Nancy was protected under freedom of the press granted by the First Amendment. However, had Nancy not been a part of the press, the judge said that if Miss Moscatello, referring to Nancy, was not a journalist, I think I would conclude that barely, and just barely, there would be sufficient evidence to issue a protective order. I was, you know, extremely annoyed, frustrated, angry that she would do this. But I have to say it was not unexpected and, and not out of character for her. I mean, I, I was a really big problem for her. And so she threw everything she could at it. You have a daughter and partner. What did your own family think when it started to become... Like, you you know, you have folders and folders and, mm -hmm. you know, especially when she starts to drag you through a court. And what did they think? Did they question your almost obsession? It's almost like you both became obsessed with each other. My daughters were in high school and my husband, you know, they, they know the work I do. I've worked in true crime for over 25 years in some capacity in everything from the O.J. Simpson case being involved heavily in that to Amy Fisher. Like, there's so many cases I worked at over the years. They were just used to me being whatever the case was I was working on or the story. You know, that's part of my life. Like, you, this is what you do. They were very used to that. This was such an unusual case for me because it was happening in real time. They knew how much I loved my work and how good I was at it and that I wasn't going to stop. And we would joke about it. My husband definitely, at one point when they tried to serve papers for the harassment, his biggest thing was, you know, he said that this is coming to the next level now and they know where you live, they know who you are, and that we just pay more attention to comings and goings here, you know, like just who's around and, and where we're at. It wasn't that he was fearful of her as much as the husband. The husband is a bodybuilder. He's a big guy. He seems like a hothead. Like, those are the things I, I could gather from what I was looking at and, and understanding. And that was more of the concern that, boy, this guy's got to be really angry with you as well. If you are accurate and she does not have cancer, you are their worst nightmare. Because he knew, they knew I wouldn't stop. They knew that... Everybody is touched by cancer. Everybody has people that have died from cancer. Close or family members, you know, we lost my sister, we lost my mother-in-law, we lost my father. Like, in a very short period of time, a lot of people to cancer. And he felt the same way I did, that it was this was a, someone that needed to stop doing this. It made me know what she was capable and know that she needed to be stopped even more. Because someone else wouldn't have had the ability to defend themselves like I did. The end of the civil harassment case sparked a chain reaction. She just kind of stopped going to church. I didn't question it. I didn't. You know, because some people I know that you sometimes you grow out of churches and you go find another church. So I kind of made that assumption. Maybe she just grew out of it and found another church. But yeah, she just kind of just stopped going out of nowhere. I remember there would be moments I would catch myself like, let me see how she's doing. I'll go on her page, you know? 
And as I would see pictures of her again that she's struggling with cancer. I remember I checked on her page to see, because I haven't heard from her. I seen her like in the hospital bed, like crying, like bald, you know, saying, I'm going through something so rough right now. The worst season of my life. And that was like, even then I still was like, oh, she's still going through stuff. Like I didn't, still didn't think anything of it. Her blog was disabled and, you know, and that's how I kept up on a lot of things. And it was just gone. I didn't get wind that anything was going on until I got that letter. The Department of Justice tracked me down. And that's when I found out. Because I never thought she would ever, you know, lie about it. She comes off like a really trustworthy person. So I didn't really think, that was not in my head thinking like, she's making this up, you know? I was not emotionally ready. August 25th of 2020, in the midst of the pandemic. I got out of like a call and I had emails from the Department of Justice. I had emails from family who had emails from the Department of Justice. And I had text messages because most of my close friends had given at some point. So they were contacted. I was home babysitting. And one of the parents, the one that donated $100, she called me. She says, Mahasti, I got this email from district attorney about Amanda Riley. I was like, wait, what? Like, this is crazy. Like, tell me this is not true. Like, this is nuts. I received a victim's notification from the Department of Justice. I opened up that email and read that she was being investigated. It was shocking to say the least. I was shook. Amanda took the blog down. She hit me with the restraining order and that went on for six months. And then she was indicted. Scamander is hosted and produced by me, Charlie Webster, and produced by Jackson McLennan. Amanda's blog posts are read by actor Kendall Horn. Edit and theme music by Nico Palella. Assistant producer, Casey Hertz. Assistant editor, Seema Graywall. Additional production support from Stephen Sletton, Will Hagel, and Nicole Urban. Executive produced by me, Charlie Webster, and Nancy Moscatello. Scamander is a Lionsgate Sound production engineered by Pilgrim Media Group. <laughs>